welcome to Inspired by Cass. I'm your host, Cassie Sheaf. This is a podcast where absolutely no topic is off limits. I'm creating a space for you to come to, to be inspired to live a life that is authentic, bold, and bigger and better than you have ever imagined. Hello, beautiful soul. Welcome to another episode. And this is my first episode that I'm recording while being in London. So if you're new here, I am on the first leg of my world trip as I have packed up my life, left Australia, and just determined to see as much of the world as I possibly can. And why the fuck not? While I am obviously young, I am unattached now. And I have the freedom to work wherever I want with this beautiful business and life that I have created. So I actually couldn't record um, podcasts once I got here because I unfortunately had to leave my my podcast mic in Australia. So I risked it, risked it for the biscuit and overpacked my luggage because it's really, really hard to pack your life and business up to, up into like one suitcase and one carry-on. And I was just like really hoping that they wouldn't weigh my carry-on luggage, which had like my laptop and my microphone and a lot of my, and like in clothes and stuff. And unfortunately for the first time in my life, they actually weighed my carry-on luggage. And because it was over by five kilos, I had to remove some stuff. So, uh, at the airport, thank God my parents were there. I had to leave behind my microphone and all of my gym gear. Um, so I have obviously purchased myself a new microphone, one that is a lot lighter, so I won't have that problem as I continue on to the next places that I plan on traveling to. Um, but you know, it's a pretty pivotal part of my business, so it did put things on a bit of a hold. Uh, lesson learned, you know, sometimes risks don't always pay off, but However, sometimes they really do. So it's probably not going to stop me from taking risks in the future. I am very excited today because the conversation that I have got to share with you today is with a lovely woman by the name of Barbara. And I was instantly drawn to Barbara when I, uh, um, she, she, they actually reached out to, to be on the podcast um, and just given her her background and what she does, I just knew that this was going to be a conversation that I don't know. I just I just knew it was going to be something different. I set this intention a little while ago. I was like, universe, I want some different guests on the podcast. I want some really interesting conversations, and then um, Barbara just like waltzed into my life. So basically. Um, Barbara, she's from America and she channels, she channels Albert Einstein. Okay. And a lot of what she does is through the lens of like quantum physics, but also just like metaphysics by channeling, um, a lot. And her like core foundation is, 
um, called conflict revolution. And it's just basically a way of revolutionizing the way that we can resolve conflicts within people's psyches. And it's another way, in my opinion, from what I sort of spoke to her about, it's just like another way of looking at life through shadow work. And it's just like, oh, you guys, you're going to love this conversation. I know. And I know that I'm probably going to have Barbara back on the podcast at some point because her, her understanding of human consciousness is just so like mine that we could just talk about things for hours. It was honestly like when we got to the end of it, I was like, I want to keep going, but we're going to stop. Otherwise, we are going to be here for hours. So I'm very excited. If you are into um, channeling, you know, talking to dead people, um, human consciousness, you know, from that very like psyche metaphysics way rather than the, the, the really woo woo kind of way then you are going to love this conversation with Barbara. So I'm going to get straight into it. It is a bit of a long one. Enjoy it. Um, all the details to connect with Barbara and her website and everything that she does are obviously in the show notes. I love you guys. Enjoy it. And I will catch you in next week's episode. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Inspired by Cass. And today we have a very special guest, Barbara. And I was just telling her before we hit record that I set a bit of an intention out to the universe a little while ago that I wanted to have some different and sort of like deeper conversations and on the podcast. And then sort of Barbara's ended my world. And I'm just so excited to bring this conversation to you guys today. So I'm going to throw it over to her so that she can introduce herself. Oh, well, hi, Cass, and thank you so much. It's so great to meet you. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was telling her before we started that I listened to that first podcast and felt such a such an alignment with the with the visions that you have. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm, you know, basically, I am a psychic channel, but I started out, this really came upon me very, very young through music. Mm -hmm. Because when I was five years old, I started crawled up to the piano and started to teach myself piano. And by the time I was 12, I was writing music, writing songs. And when I got out of high school, I had two solid sets of original music that were really well received. And I went on the road doing concerts and rock bands and trios. And so to me, writing music, when I was 12 years old, I described it as going out into outer space and listening for the song that was already written and then interpreting it back, however that process was. And what did I think that meant when I was 12? I have no idea, but I had to do it based on this fact that I had this huge amount of, of um, kind of abscessed emotional P PTSD from living a, a war zone, you know, mm. sexual abuse, emotional abuse, so it was it was a drive for survival, but that process then later when I found out that I could channel other things other than music, it's the same thing. And I think everybody does. Everybody channels their own life and, you know, math, math, mathematicians channel and musicians channel. And so we all channel in that way. Uh, and you are. Uh, somebody who listening to your podcast is that you know that you know that you are channeling your life and that mm. there is this uh driving force of divinity within you so anyway how i got to know i could channel uh albert einstein it was in high school my friend mike said one day hey you got to come and see what my mom does 
I was like, well, what did your mom do? And I went over there and here was his Buddha-like mother. She sits before a picture of Jesus with the candle lit and she channeled. We didn't call it channeling. We just said Mike's mom gave readings and it was the most divine, loving, healing information and all about what we're going through now and the rise of human consciousness and how my music was going to be this great healer. I was going to go out and share and heal the world with this beautiful music that I was singing. All I ever wanted to be was a rock star. So mm -hmm. I didn't have any intention to be any kind of spiritual, really anything. But um, so I got readings with Eunice for 10 years and things transpired. I became award-winning songwriter and singer in Minneapolis and around the area. I traveled the world singing in bands and, um, and yet it was never enough. Hmm. Even though all of the predictions were coming true, it was never enough for me because of all that subterranean programming and stuff that had to be taken out. Now, also, just if I can jump ahead to now, and manifestation. Sometimes we don't manifest what we really think we want because there's a greater thing coming through us. So, um, so when I started automatic writing, it was very spontaneous. It was 1987 and I knew what it was, but I still was like, wow, I can do this. And when I asked like, who are you? They said, we are sound. And what Eunice always said was she was like a giant antenna that she would pick up your higher power and then talk back to your human brain. That's all she would. There were no anybody else. So that's how I felt when I started channeling. Okay, I sound, right? I'm picking up the sound with my antenna. And um, it just was phenomenal. Their information was taking these sort of shameful and guilt-ridden situations that I was in, sex, drugs, and rock and roll and addiction, and reframed them into a, this meaningful, magical, hope-filled perspective, changing my perspective about myself. And I was hooked. And so I started doing readings and eventually started speaking. And then I started to do groups. I wanted to do a group. I wanted to see what these voices would say in a group. So Teresa and Kim and I started doing groups in December of 1993. And from that has come, I'm, I'm here at Kim's house now, staying with her while I'm on my world tour. And we were just talking about that first group. H how did we know what we were doing? They told us we were on this mission. Mm -hmm. And and what did we think? I hardly knew these people. And yet here we are, you know, 35 years later, going strong. So. Um, Anyway, we did groups in our living room. We tape record them. We would transcribe those tapes and then we give them to the people who were coming. And what happened was Kim and Teresa asked, who are you in one of their readings? They wanted names and they said, you can call us angels. Hmm. And I, what really? I, I just didn't quite know how to take that because I never had had anybody else around and I, I'm not like you're talking about, you want to dive deeper into a metaphysical thing. That, that's where I, I'm not like an airy fairy, mm. an, angel-y kind of that kind of thing. But what they were saying was so 
divine and it was changing our lives every single day and we were working together so we could see each other's witness each other's so we could attest that we were really going through this and what these angels said was they had this revolutionary way that to resolve conflict that they wanted to test on human beings and they needed some people to test it and you couldn't act like you had a conflict to test it you really had to have a real life conflict and and they and this was as step-by-step instructions for world peace one person at a time starting with the self and they always told us that this was all about us um bringing this peace into our bodies and the byproduct was going to be world peace the byproduct so we weren't going right at world peace we were going at us and uh so sure enough, we had our first fight and I was like, hey, I'm getting the transcripts. And we we applied the principles and had this Satari moment, this huge sh- shift in how we re- were relating to each other. And that was the beginning of our development of conflict revolution. Mm. So we published our book, Diaries of a Psychic Sorority, Talking with the Angels. 1997 it was our diaries they told us keep notes you want to leave a paper trail because someday this is all going to be so um when i published the book we Mm self-published i also got a literary agent and she called one day and said she had a tabloid in london you know those metaphysical tabloid or those whatever paranormal tabloids Mm. that was interested in uh princess die an interview with princess die from beyond the grave on our one year anniversary and i again was really skeptical it's like this seems gratuitous and i i i don't do that i i've never like gone to a dead person or wh- however wh- how do you do that i don't know and i talked about it and thought about it i thought well I- i'll try it I'll do I'll just try it. So I sat down, I typed and I channeled the questions and the answers. And then printed it off and went to the beach to read it and was deeply moved by how profound it was. Mm-hmm. And not just about what happened in her life, etc. But her message was if everyone who left flowers on the uh, palace after I died would find inner peace find peace then we can change the whole world her whole message was about peace Mm. so um the tabloid flew me to new york and interviewed me for several hours but they didn't want it and i'm quite sure because she didn't mention charles or camilla once in it Mm. uh so my agent and i sat down and just started thinking maybe there's other famous dead people who want us talk to us so we made this list and the next person who stepped up on the list was nicole brown simpson Mm. and that was a very intense and profound interview and also eye-opening to that airy fairy part of me that thinks thought used to think you know you die and you just go into this peaceful place no you don't there's still you carry it's life after life but anyway Mm -hmm. So by the time we got to John F. Kennedy, who back in 1998 told us exactly what we're finding out today about what really happened, 
he told us, we'll tell you who's next. You don't have to go searching for dead people. We're, we'll send you people. Mm. So that's how I got to Albert Einstein because they said next will be Albert Einstein. And when I channeled Albert Einstein then, this was the voice. This was the voice of my channeling. This was the voice of sound mm -hmm. in my, this was the voice in at five years old with the music. Einstein was a huge musician and, mm. and um, I was so overcome. Like I'd met this person I'd known my whole life and never met it, but it was still a little crazy to me. Like, I can't tell anybody that I think I talked to Einstein, but I wanted to do a book just for him. So on the hundred year anniversary of E equals MC squared, which was 2005, I channeled a bunch of uh, sessions and I sat down through the winter and edited it. Imagining he was sitting here telling me where to go mm -hmm. and how to put. So we were piecing together what he couldn't do in life which was to deliver the unified fill theory. Mm -hmm. And it was like building a bird's nest because he'd say like, go Google black holes. And there were th there's three terms that are actually from the black hole that we're gonna put on our map. And so it was this amazing process of delivering his unified field. And perhaps the most profound part of it was how he defines uh, a scientific definition of compassion. Mm. He, he makes a quantifiable definition of compassion and he calls it the fifth fundamental force of the universe. It's the intelligence that uses the four fundamental forces to impel the creation of the physical world one step at a time. And then he goes off to explain, you know, the base is compass, right? So there's certain things that compassion impels energy, et cetera, and so on. So I'm delivering his unified field theory from afterlife, and it's so profound, but slightly ahead of its time mm. for me as a person, right? It's crazy making. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's at the same time, it's beautiful and magnificent in that, that human brains, it's like, really, you think you're talking to Einstein, you're, you're crazy. You're questioning yourself, 100%. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. So, but the, the way that it all played out, I think if you look at my story about starting in music and sort of gently unfolding with Eunice and very loving mm -hmm. and then even Kim and Teresa, okay, they had angels, so now we're okay. And then and then slowly they ease in to my ability to speak with, actually dead people were coming to me mm. and asking for my help. That's how I learned I could speak to people from beyond the grave. I thought we were talking to angels now and suddenly Teresa's mom is coming. And um, so, um, it was a gentle unfolding. And even after I did the second book, Party of 12, The Afterlife Interviews, that has all those interviews in it, I still didn't totally come out of the closet about Einstein. I still kept saying I was channeling angels until 9-11. Mm. And then it was clear that these people, these it, afterlife, they're working in afterlife for world peace. They're working with us to help 
bring world peace, let's, let's get them out of the closet a bit. And when I did that, um, things changed a bit. They changed mm. a bit. They didn't just completely start rolling. But I think that's because now is the time for this body of work to suddenly be embraced um, with the participation of the well. People are more willing than ever mm. to do this work. They, not enough yet, but we're getting there. It, we're getting there. As long as we keep our, doing our work is all we have to um, yeah. be concerned about. So, um, and then in 2007, I had the opportunity to uh, uh, sh channel at an event with a group called the Crimson Circle. Mm -hmm. And this is Jeffrey Hoppy, who started channeling St. Germain and Kathumi and Tobias in 1999. Mm -hmm. And early on started a, a live stream, like before live streaming, before anybody did live stream, like in 2002 or something, he was doing that. So by 2007, he had this big event in Taos that was broadcast to like half a million people around the world. And I got to channel Einstein and tell my story. And it was a dream come true. It was that manifestation. Like you're mm -hmm. saying, it even doesn't happen here. Doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It's just the timing. And so I was invited all over the world. People organized workshops and channeling. I got to even do my music and I traveled everywhere. Uh, and yeah, have been bringing that. And I did a definitive book of everything that I've learned learned on the road called Einstein et al. My third book was Imagining Einstein. So I've, I've published the works and now um, in, on July 9th, I relaunched after, gosh, I haven't been, I didn't, haven't trained in person in 11 years, I think. Mm. Since 2011 was my last trip to Europe. And then I came home and I started a media co-op and became a journalist and got into water protection and went kind of on a different direction. But the time you is now back. to call back. And so I built this brand new website, SynergyAlliance.llc. And... Uh, we have our whole library uh, available there. We have seven books. Lily also has a book called Second Coming, Second Coming, Awakening the Christ Within. So it's exciting. And as soon as I launched and set that intention and quit all my other little revenue stream jobs that had nothing to do with this, uh, it's been, a, it started slowly, but it's starting to pick up this crazy wild synchronicity uh, mm -hmm. momentum and every all of you young people out there that are doing these podcasts it's so exciting i mean when i had my first reading with eunice we mm -hmm. didn't have any kind of even a recording device you had to take a friend to take notes for you there wasn't any kind of recording device to take mm -hmm. so suddenly we have this ability to communicate and connect with so many people all around the world, just this easy. It's really, really, really fun. So, so that's where I am. And that's what my work is about. Mm, thank you so much for sharing. And I really, I mean, I've taken notes from that. So I'm just going to like unpack that, but I really love what you were saying about Eunice, how it really felt like she was just channeling you know, she was just an antenna because that's, that's truly, I mean, yes, I do connect with 
um, beings and, you know, people who have passed, I do that. But when I'm channeling, it always for me feels like I'm just open and it's like the universal consciousness is flowing into me. Um, so I just love what you really, really shared there and just really, really um, resonated with that. What an amazing experience I think that you've had, um, Barbara, because I think that, and, and you sort of said this, you were slowly kind of introduced to this because I'm sure that when you were five years old, if that sound was like, hey, I'm Albert Einstein, things would not have worked out. So do you feel like because of that slow progress, you were really able to kind of like own this and really work with it? Well, absolutely. And also because I went through a deep, deep uh finally uh mental and spiritual breakdown mm. when i i got i was getting divorced in 2006 and i left to go promote einstein that's when i was invited around the world and i'd left my husband and i'd left everything and it took me about four years of doing this deep work at the same time my career and my message and my mission are exploding so there's both the highest and then there's the lowest, mm. but I had to get into that dysfunction in myself. And like you said, it's one thing to think about stuff and know that you understand it. And it's another thing to go into that deep, deep, dark part of you and then figure out what, as you might say, the fuck mm. am I supposed to do about this? Finding out that I'm a liar you know, and finding out that I can be sinister. Mm. And, um, and so conflict revolution, when, when you get triggered by someone, emotional reaction to someone, then very quickly the process is you just parboil down the message to what is it that that person did that, that pissed you off or mm. hurt you and you get it down to a soundbite and then revolve it back around. There's your work for you where are you not respecting yourself or where are you not and then you set about to get into your witness cultivate it and watch where you actually perform those <laughs> less than desirable things that if it triggers you in another person how would you feel if you found out you were actually doing it oh it's so, hard isn't it it's so hard and yet you know the stalking part of it where you're stalking yourself that that's emotionally like what am i gonna find but overall you know it's the most liberating experience that we have the very most sovereign place when we own that and and do that mm -hmm. so um anyway uh yeah it's it's been necessary for me to use it to mm. save my own life and after I got through those four years, and that was a lot of also, but it was like research too, because there was this heavy past life bleed through that was almost, well, it wasn't almost part, it was part of the multiple split. It was part of the dissociative disorder. And I had to take this personality who we named Lizelle mm -hmm. and kind of put her outside myself and treat her like a dead person and find out what she wants what she needs what what is going on with all of this so that was a that'll be a book someday too but and then now that i am 68 years old and started 
you know, channeling in 1987, I, I don't know how I was 32 or something. And it all makes sense. Mm. It all, I can look back on all of it and have such incredible gratitude for every last bit, all, all the pain of it and all the suffering that I went through. It just is unified into this powerful experience of consciousness now mm. and unif the unification of my consciousness. Yeah. And, I, and I'm sure at the time, you know, back, you know, when you were 30 odd, when, you, when this is all happening, you obviously didn't know where this was going to lead you, right? And you just had to have that trust, as you said, to just be like, I don't understand this. I don't know what's happening, but there's a, there's there's every fiber in your being knowing that it needs to be shared or this is part of what you're supposed to do and you just kind of follow that, right? Yes. And, and with this journey, whoever was in charge of planning – Mm. uh knew that to somehow to have three women to have not just one person but to have three women made it, it it's like more contagious because we could see the changes in each other mm. and 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 then as we were they told us early on document write your diaries and so we spent a lot of time documenting how we were changing and just but these are basic baby step changes that were also huge mm. you know for kim to not obsess so much about something like was a huge step for her to learn how to how do you stop obsessing oh little tiny step big effect mm. so that was that was addictive and it really bonded us and then there came a point where then as we got and there's a whole bunch about the sacred triangle and the triad as far as personality etc but there came a time where we had to pull apart so we could each go then and take everything we learned together like we came in a third each of a whole and then we be, all became a whole and then we all became whole and so we had to then pull apart mm. from each other so we could just continue to grow sovereignly still connected but i think that's when i learned that conflict and having conflicts with people where you're separated the angels told us early on sometimes we just sometimes there's just conflict to get you apart because you each need you need to be over here learning how to stand strong in yourself and you need to be but if you just stayed together because you you would never get what you needed and you wouldn't you wouldn't voluntarily walk away to go face those things alone. So conflicts flare up mm. as a part of, uh, you know, guidance systems sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. I've had a friendship recently where we've, we're living together. Now we're sort of living apart and we felt it at the, at that stage and, and we're both psychics. So we're like, nah. it's like our relationship's ready for that sort of like, next phase where we get to sort of like be separate as you said to continue to not just grow you know our relationship but then obviously individually as well so I totally see that so I'm curious so obviously the, the ladies you're talking about these this is part of the psychic sorority am I right 
Yes. So I would love for you to just dive into that because I just, I I know how powerful it is as you've been sharing, how powerful it is to have other people who are obviously experiencing similar things. So you've shared how powerful that was for you, but just share with the listeners what the psychic sorority is and, and how it sort of all came about for you all. I, in May of 1993, I wanted to do groups. I'd been ch- channeling. I, I had a clientele and they'd come to my house and leave and then come back six months later. But nobody ever talked about what was being said. We didn't. But nobody in my clientele wanted to do that. So I kind of gave up on the idea. And then through referral, Teresa showed up for a reading mm-hmm. and she sent maybe six of her girlfriends through the next months. And then in the fall, she sent her best friend, Kim. Mm. And when Kim came for a reading, the whole energy was just, I was grabbing on to the edge of the couch and talking with that nice could And I was noticeably, I wasn't connecting them with anything. They were just cli- referral clients. They hadn't mm. become friends. Although Teresa was married to a musician and I was a musician working around town too. But so they started to call me and Kim transcribed her reading and called me up and said, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? I was like, well, I don't know. Let's talk about it. I'd love to talk about it. So they started coming to my gigs and I was playing at this fancy hotel in Minneapolis and on our breaks, we just sit, you know, talking all about what does it mean? And I think it probably happened at the same time where I had the thought, here's my group. And they had the thought, we should get everybody together because everybody was talking, all these women that they had, and maybe Barbara will come and talk with us. And so I called them up and I said, hey, would you guys want me to come and channel for a group? I've been wanting to channel for a group. And they gasped and said, we were going to invite you over. So we did the first group in Teresa's living room and it lasted two and a half hours and we tape recorded it and transcribed it and it just blew our minds. It blew our minds because they said, you're going, you're on a mission, you have this mission. And we immediately started trying to figure out what this all meant. Well, Kim had a kitchen design business that Teresa worked with her and it was mm-hmm. in within a mile of my home. So I would go over there and business was very slow and I would go over there every day and we would talk about stuff and we transcribe things and we did triad readings. and. So we decided to call ourselves a psychic sorority because we just felt like that. And mm. and Kim at the time was very conservative. She was a she was a pearl and matching person shoes Republican who worked at her daddy's aerospace business. She would never have gone to a psychic if she hadn't been in crisis. Mm. So for her to for all of us but um so we became the psychic sorority and then we decided we the bigger idea was uh we called it synergy alliance because we love this word synergy and we were an alliance so we also had that moniker which became our business name but Mm. informally and then the psychic sorority grew everybody who came to the groups we considered to be in the psychic sorority and now on saturdays often i have a zoom pre-zoom with growing members of the psychic sorority just people like you and i who 
hold these worldviews and, and want to mm. talk about them. I love it. That's so powerful. Mm. And I think I, I talk so much about community and just having, you know, friendships that are aligned because like so many people, and I'm sure you would have maybe felt this about yourself when you were kind of getting into the space. You're like, am I fucking crazy? What is going on? Like, who do I talk to? And I know for me, like, because I have people in this space now, I can be like, hey, like, I've got this thing, or maybe I've channeled this. Like, it's actually so powerful to have people that you can have these types of conversations with. Otherwise, you know, that's that's how people end up in loony bins. <laughs> exactly. Right? Which is why I think in this plan, they had to have three of us. Yeah. Because we always said, we put us in the loony bin, give us a piano and a computer and just let us be together and we'll be mm -hmm. okay. But even, you know, even with our groups in the beginning, we, that you had, people didn't talk this way. Mm -hmm. Husbands didn't talk this way. And, uh, but now there's so much more, so much more conversation and openness and people wanting to know bigger conversations, I think. Yeah. But I truly believe that like, you know, those of us now who are obviously in this space, like, yes, we're here to raise the collective consciousness of humanity. Like we couldn't be doing this if there wasn't people like yourself who was starting to already introduce it to the collective consciousness, you know, like in the nineties, otherwise we'd be 30, 40, 50 years, who knows far behind. Right. <laughs> That is correct. And, and back in the 90s, then when we were sort of bravely going forward, and we took this information and turned it into a workshop. Mm. And the way that happened was I was temping, uh, freelancing at a nonprofit in St. Paul, and I was, I had a contract in the program department and a contract in the marketing department. And they had been working for nine months to get the program department, a trifold brochure designed nine months. So I, I, I got it done in an hour. <laughs> and then I went to the president and said, Hey, I've been involved in this kind of crazy thing, but it's this process. And would you let me develop a workshop to use as a staff development tool? Mm -hmm. And she was like all for it. So I spent a, just a hammering out, how would I present this if I did it in a workshop form and presented it. And it was such a great hit that they asked me to teach it in the programs. So mm. it adapted into an anger management program. And this was a women's economic development organization that worked with women coming out of prisons and going into jobs in the trades, you know, mm. like cables and electricians. And so I taught it as a personal empowerment and wrote curriculums for it and then just held my own as well. And um, it's amazing. I just, through the years I have watched as times have changed and now we have what we have mm. where people in the beginning, maybe 20% of the people who took the workshop would get the aha moment yeah. where they, they'd see their thing. 40% thought this is really, really cool, but they didn't get there. And then the rest of them were like, well, I don't know. And then mm -hmm. after nine 11, that shifted the other way where probably about 60% of the people had their aha moment. And now people get it before, before we even, you know, so yes, it's, it's, we're all in it together. Yes. I love this. So I would love to dive into a conflict revolution with you because I just think that this movement um, and this concept, I mean, just hearing you sort of speak about it before um, I 
just resonate so deeply with it. So would you like to just kind of like dive into that further for the listeners? Well, do you want to go into the truncated version or would you like to hear a truncated version of the unified field theory in the maps of human consciousness? Ooh, that one. Yes. That, I, okay. Yes. I kind of knew that. I knew that yeah. Okay. So, so here, here it is, is that the source of everything is in the center of the planet. Mm-hmm. It acts like a black hole. So there's that nothingness, that zero point in the center of the planet and compassion as the fifth fundamental force of the universe impels energy in that nothing there's it's nothing but there's still energy and impels energy to step out of the nothing and into the everything and create a membrane domain particle that einstein calls a compilation of consciousness so Mm. your compilation of consciousness at that root level is surrounding all of the mathematics that you are going to experience and are experiencing in that space-time body. And it's a singularity. So that's the first point. This is step-by-step, right? Nothing. So that's the first step. And that's what a compass does, right? That draws circles. Mm. A compass draws circles. So compassion impels this circular thing. Second thing a compass does it is it aligns to true north. So every single compilation of consciousness is aligned to true north on the planet so that we're all on the same map mm-hmm. so we have the math we have the math in my compilation some of the math is my latitude and longitude some of the math is my dna some of the math is much deeper and broader but it creates a boundary for me to have the separate experience that uh, on the on the in the lens Mm-hmm. So the second step from one, going from one to two, is within this compilation of consciousness, this, this math starts to coagulate together. And the first separation into two is the body in the inner world and then everything that's outside. And then a third transformation happens where now you have the sacred geometry of three. And that third part is the part that can, can witness both the human body and the outer world so there's these three elements that and with that geometry and once that happens once we have that three that's when the gravitational wave begins to make its way from the surf center of the planet through all the way up through literally because this is if everything is the same on the microcosm as as it is on the macrocosm Mm -hmm. so our gravitational wave is flowing through the earth having all those mathematics in this explosion of particles that are going to come together to form us and everything on this wave and when it gets to the outside because there's the inner world when it gets to the outside our body is miraculously assembled and it becomes the projector and the perceiver of that universe in what we call the lens of that. And then that wave continues on out into the heavens and it hooks back up with the earth electromagnetic field. And it goes back up through the North Pole, back down into the center of the planet to begin again. And this mm-hmm. is the string that string theory is, and it spins at the speed of light squared. So what makes us human is that from this compilation of consciousness with these three parts, there's also what's called the human intention. 
that we've come here to be human. And what that is, it's a, it's a configuration of energy where the source in the center, the observer out in the heavens, not the witness that's in the lens, but, and then the lens itself. So you think of it sort of like a, it's, I think of it like an arm that comes out of the source, out into the heavens, and then that lens drops down over that spinning string. Mm-hmm. And like a prism, it slows it down, it separates everything, and it gives us this experience of human life. Mm-hmm. And then when our bodies die and there's no more projection or perceiving, that human intention falls out. So on this wave that's going from the source to the to the lens, this is where it's a perfect system. The projection from the source to the lens always perfectly projects whatever is programmed into that math, whatever is taking place on that wave, perfectly projects. And that's why we can have everything being perfect while still we're manifesting conflict in the lens because it is perfectly manifesting the conflict that's on this wave that holds these three human dimensions that we work with in our consciousness when we're resolving these conflicts. So the first part is emotion of that wave, like a primordial soup. It's not emotions like feelings and all of that. It's emotion. It is the the basis of all physical matter and and we're starting to pull together, right? Mm -hmm. All of my particles are starting to attract and the chair's particles are starting to attract. And as they move up the wave, the next step, the second is born and that is sound. That's intuition. So in the emotional place, this is the I am, right? Mm -hmm. I am Barbara and I'm moving up the wave and, and, and intuition says, go be Barbara. Intuition is always impelling the next step for the good of the whole system and plan. And then as everything gets even more into form, we get to the third dimension, which is intellect. And intellect holds free will. That's where free will functions. We don't make decisions with our hearts or intuition. Mm-hmm. We, If we're going to turn left, it's our intellectual energy that has the hand grab the wheel and pull the so we have been given the power to say no to the voice of god within us basically the voice of intuition the voice of compassion always going to tell us the next step we can say no and einstein says this is the root cause of all conflicts in the world Mm. if you want to get that as you can't get much deeper than that one So our work is about how do we align to compassion? How do we make sure that these three human dimensions are each taken care of? We're nurturing them, what they need, what emotion needs, what intuition needs, what intellect needs, and then how do they need to work together? And we set about, like you were saying in your last podcast, this isn't just about reading a book. This is about getting every day, getting up every day and making this your waking, walking, meditation, prayer, practice. And every second that we're alive, hmm. we're interacting in that waking, walking, prayer, meditation. So with conflict revolution, we wake up every day and say, okay, first of all, all the gratitude, thank you for another day of this most amazing life, et cetera. 
Now I'm going to set my intention today. I'm going to watch what am I feeling? What are, what are my emotions in my solar plexus? We just separate them to give them, you know, clarity. What is my intuition impelling me to do and what's going on in my intellect at any given time. Mm -hmm. And that is a full-time job for every human to take care of that. And so, um, that's the basic premise of conflict revolution. And when we do a workshop, like I'm going to be doing upcoming, I'm very excited. Everyone brings a conflict and it's so much fun. It's so much fun to learn because everybody has it. It's not, you're not, this isn't about, we're going to solve your problems. Every, you know, you're a case. It's mm. like that we use them as icebreakers. And then we set about to pull them apart to see what is the purely emotional piece of this conflict without thought, just what is the feeling? Okay, anger, depression, resentment, without the da, 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 of the intellect in the head. And then what is the, what are those thoughts that are going on in the head in that obsession about whatever your conflict is? And that's, we, we get obsessive and we project well, God, she did that to me. And she does must not like all the assumptions that start pouring out of us. So we want to see what those are. And the other thing is that our intellects and our egos are going to tell us that we are someone. Hmm. But when we step into our witness and we say, okay, wait a minute, I'm going to watch myself to see who I really am. Not who I think I am because I can think yeah. I'm the greatest person in the world. And that does not preclude that there might be this area over here I have to take a look at. So it's a very enlightening, self-enlightening process, which I love too, because we're trying to teach ourselves to be our own authority and to be our own mastery and to take responsibility for every level of energy that we have. So if we go in to this non-physical part of us with these three human dimensions and start to change that, then the system will perfectly manifest that alignment to compassion mm. so that we don't have to go into the lens and, you know, attack the situation in there, like trying to manipulate how, like, how am I going to get the money to go to London or how am I going to, where am I going to, we don't have to do that. We just have to keep our, our alignment to compassion, keep ourselves feeling and breathing and listening to intuition and however you're going to tame those wild horses of the ego and the intellect, make them into the faithful servant of the intuition and become a discoverer. Like you're discovering mm -hmm. life. You're not figuring it out and defining it. You're, you're sitting back and observing what's going on around you and paying attention and listening for that intuition and making those decisions then things naturally manifest in ways that you cannot create without doing this, without mm. doing this kind of intentional work where you get out of the way, take responsibility. And it's so exciting because yeah. once you get addicted to it, you it's why would you go back? So true. And I think that the more that I myself just trust my heart and just like close out that intellectual mind, like the more that I continue to see my, my life, you know, um, I suppose unify with this, with this field that 
that you sort of refer to. Um, so I love that. Thank you so much for the explanation because I really feel like it's, and we sort of said this before, it's so much already about how I sort of speak and, and see and view the world. It's just obviously through this beautiful lens that you've channeled through, which I just think is absolutely incredible. So just like for the listeners and stuff, like, let, like could you share, I guess, um, what like what sort of impact have you seen through this work now that you've obviously been bringing it through for a while? Like, I'm so curious. Oh, there's so many stories, so many stories. I mean, I have so many of my own stories that are just miraculous Mm. that I I use in the training. So I bring my conflict and I, and then I can, you know, beef it up and dramatize it and and get really judgmental. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But one of my favorite is, um, and these are just little things. There was, um, I, did, I did a workshop in Oslo and this woman came and she brought her conflict and the conflict was her mother-in-law hates her. She's mm. hated her for 25 years and she was from Barbados. And so her conflict was, she was convinced that her mother-in-law was trying to deport her and send her back to Barbados. And because you can clearly see this is a formula like it's almost like dream interpretation when you hear somebody say my mother-in-law wants to deport me it's like okay so we're going to revolve it like who is your mother-in-law and Mm. what does that mean you know deport you send you away um and then when you revolve it uh she she came up to me like on the break and she said you know where this is going don't you I said, yeah, I do, but it's not because I'm some like great psychic seer swami. It's because it's a formula and you can hear it in anybody's conflict. Mm. Anybody who's going on and on and on about somebody and what they did, this is their inner work that is blessedly revealing itself very, very specifically. Like you don't even have to guess about what it is if you listen to what it is. So she teared up. And started to cry and said, I'm so homesick. Mm. And I haven't been able to go back to Barbados because I have these children and this husband. Well, excuse me, she's got a 14-year-old and a 17-year-old and a husband who makes a million kroner a year. What are you talking about? What Mm. in your head is projecting all over your mother-in-law to make her the source of your, I didn't say any of this. This is what she was thinking, of course, mm. in her head. And um, she came back for the second day of the workshop and she said, I can't believe the difference of my relationship with my mother-in-law. 25 years of conflict is like, it's all so new to me because she's not the, and then she started going back to Barbados on a regular basis. And mm. it was just a beautiful thing, but and then one of my favorite ones for me was um, I had one I call I always we always name our conflicts because then you can just go oh the drunken marketing manager oh that one and I worked the same nonprofit I took a job and there was a a marketing manager who was an alcoholic and I didn't work for her I worked for the president but she mm-hmm. kept bringing me work to do and she kept giving me this work that she should have been doing. And then I would get it all done and she would criticize me. She would like 
well, you didn't do it fast enough, or you didn't do this, or you didn't do that. And, and so, so my soundbite was, she makes me do her work, and then she criticizes me for it. And I just don't do that. I do not do that. If I make you do my work, I'm going to praise you to the heaven. I mean, this is what my mind is telling me. This is what mm. our minds will do. They, we don't do that. We don't do that. But I knew if I did this thought experiment and continue on. So two weeks, I'm driving to work and back thinking, I can't, I can't think. And then I'm watching myself and I'm making sure that I'm not doing that now, right? I'm not going to be complaining. So finally, I, I, I called a lifeline. And I called my friend Teresa and said, here's my soundbite. And without missing a beat, the woman said, remember when you and your husband were separated? I said, yeah, we went through a few hard times. And remember when he was paying all the bills and he was changing the storm windows and he was taking care of the dog and he was keeping up the house and all you did was say he didn't support you. And when I had that aha moment, it was so, it took my breath away because mm. it had nothing to do with the drunken marketing manager. Nothing. I would never have found this piece of abscessed conflict on, you know, this mm. part of those programmings that are. So I went to my husband and we had this wonderful talk and I, I really, I made amends greatly. And two days later, the drunken marketing manager was fired. So those are the things that we see happen that you can't, I'm not going after to make her get fired. I don't mm -hmm. know how the outcome of that is gonna resolve for the good of the whole, but they do Yeah. without us doing anything. So my, I, my thought is if we do this on a personal level and it has that effect, it has that effect of manifestation, what if, we all got together, the participation of the willing, I call it, to take part in a worldwide action to end the age of war, war being a manifestation of the us versus them stuff that goes on in our heads, that goes on in our lives, and end it on this microcosm level with the intention that that will naturally manifest in small steps of, you know, and for example, I don't, I'm not, don't want to talk about politics, but as far as Israel goes, um, mm. I had an Israeli woman come to me in the summer and, and want to take conflict revolution because they knew something was coming mm. and they didn't know what to do. And they were spiritual people, but nothing was happening and they didn't want to end up like Lebanon. They didn't want to end up bombed. And so she brought 25 Israelis to a conflict revolution class in September. Mm. And her daughter was in ground zero of what happened. And so that this has been a really emotion and we've been targeting yeah. our conflict revolution to this. And Saturday they were, Israeli was, Israel was going to go into the Gaza and just commit the purge and they didn't, mm. it stopped. So to me, it's that kind of thing. I can't prove to you that because I do conflict revolution, I help. But I bet that even if you don't call it conflict revolution, those powers of compassion that we're mm -hmm. all feeling and we're all exercising this, uh, this evolution that we're going through to help that 
I just, I have so much hope. I really yeah. do. And I, I think there's, and I know just personally myself, like, um, I hosted a meditation circle uh, a couple of weekends ago, even with the intention, not necessarily even focusing on anything, but like, Hey guys, let's just set the fucking intention that we're going to send out some, some love and compassion to the world. Right. And so while we weren't necessarily working on the scale of the conflict racial revolution, I do truly believe that what we're experiencing collectively is more and more people in their own style choosing to be like, Hey, I do have an effect on the collective consciousness. And so uh, I'm going to bring that love and compassion into my own personal life to then hopefully dissipate all of that external war that's literally manifesting itself, as you said, right now. Exactly. I know. And, and Einstein has said in these recent channelings that there is this massive amount of compassion that has unified that mm. is unifying because of everybody doing you know like i said conflict revolution is just a really precise system that can get you there but everybody does it everybody does it in the way that they do with in the way that they can even if they just pray and they send yes. out that intention of love as that step mm. i know it's 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 beautiful yeah. And so, and everyone listening, what, whatever your, I suppose, intention or format for doing this. And I always say this, like you get to be that ripple in the water, in the ocean of the collective consciousness where you can realize just how much power and impact you can have on the collective. If you just choose to work through this, you choose to be more conscious of how you're reacting. And, and you've given so many amazing um, examples, Barbara, of like, internal conflicts that we're experiencing that we're projecting out into the world being like this is a problem when in actuality it's all about our own shit right and absolutely and I was just gonna say like it's we're talking about this on such a personal level but if you guys just kind of like zoom out as well you need to realize that that's also just that's what's that that's how we our society right now is is in the turmoil that it's in because collectively we're all dealing with this collective, I suppose, pain that's then manifesting itself out into such a large level of conflict, as you say. Because when we have within us all of this emotion and mm -hmm. we don't feel it because we weren't taught how to feel it, it mm -hmm. abscesses. And then it projects, that's perfect projection. And remember too, that the gravitational waves from the center of the earth to the, to the lens, that's how much influence we have in the earth. That's, yeah. those are, that's the area of the, these three non-physical human dimensions. And because we can't look directly at them, we find them through our experience in the lens. Mm -hmm. So it's that thing about, whatever is coming up about my trigger, how do I define it? Is this part of me that's calling out, creating the situation for me to look at and turn in and, and do something about, and then that natural manifestation mm. adds to all of the prayers, all of the, because if we do away with the us versus them in, in that non-physical, that's not projecting, and Einstein once said that, that that abscess of emotion that gets projected, it's either 
metaphorically, it's either cancer or war. Mm. It's either something that shows up in the inner world of your body as a sickness, or it's something that manifests in the outer world as a conflict, everything from, you know, with a friend all the way up to World War III. Yeah. So let's get it on that wave. And think of how much that is. I don't know how many miles it is to the center of the planet, but we have a lot of we have a lot of power to have a lot of impact each. We do. What and, and again, this is something I guess I speak into so heavily as well. What would you say to someone who uh, is listening to this, but right now doesn't resonate with the fact that they do have all of this power inside of them? To just kind of like you know maybe inspire them to to see it. Well, I wrote a song once called Faith. Mm. And the the hook is just say you'll have faith. You don't even need to believe it. Just mm. say you will. Yeah. So understand that there's an emotion and then there's a thought. And these are two different things. And we have these emotions that attach themselves to thoughts that say, well, I can't do this. I, I, I don't resonate with this. I don't, I don't think I have the power to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I've certainly entertained those thoughts and still, you know, I can't mm. do this. But if we separate the emotion from the thought and tr- treat them differently. So yeah, I get it. You don't think you can do it. You don't think you resonate. Well, let's, Try this thought experiment. This you can do. Next time you have an emotion, experiment with stepping into this witness part of yourself and identify that emotion separately from any reason that you think you have it. Oh, I have this sadness because I don't think I can ever do this. No, separate those two things out. You have the sadness. Now take a breath. Mm. Fill yourself up with it, but don't let it marry itself to that thought that says you can't do it because that's what brings things to life. Intellect's basic uh, purpose is to define things. Is So like we're sitting here now and there's a very subatomic intellectual message that's going on in my head going, that is a chair, that is a chair, that is a chair, that is a chair, that is a chair. It's it's part of what create the whole system. But don't let it attach to a thought that says, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. And like you so clearly said, my conflict revolutionary friend, is that you think you can't do it? Change the thought and think that you can. You don't even, you don't need to believe Mm. it. This is not about thinking that you can so that the feeling will go away and you'll suddenly feel good and joyful. That isn't it. It's that you can even marry sadness and anger to thoughts of great achievement and intention and fuel Mm. them. The mythology is that we have to be in joy or we have to be in this and you can't do that. No, 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 no. We need the whole spectrum and they can all fuel the manifestation of any intention. And when I learned that really, really took me a long time to figure it out and then to figure out how when I got really mad to start breathing and going, oh, what do I want to what do I want to create? You know, I had this big fight with my sister and I found myself like I well, I'd be in my head all about her and then I'd stop and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, I want to capture this 
emotion, this intense emotion and funnel it into my intentions. Hmm. And it's a whole different, this is why it's revolutionary. It's a whole different way of living than we were taught uh, how to do. Mm. Well, I guess, you know, there, there's really no emotional training or, or teaching even given to us um, even now these days. And I think that um, I sort of talk about the intellect being, you know, that ego. It's like any time that I feel that intellect, that ego come up and it's trying to, I suppose, diminish or push aside or negate what I'm feeling. It's just like, bruh, like get out of, get out of my head. Like you, you need to just step aside for a second. Cause I really need to be completely in this emotion, in this feeling. Um, cause I know, and I'm sure you'd agree, like emotions are, are what's really, it, it's the most powerful aspect of our manifestation, right? So if we can be really aware of that emotion and change what's happening intellectually for ourselves, we'll actually be able to channel even the most, you know, emotions like good and bad but even those more negative emotions like anger you can actually use that anger to create something if you're doing it intentionally absolutely and it's to me that's one of the most exciting pieces about this mm. about about this change that we're going through to understand that not only do we have a right to feel everything we have a responsibility and in our map that emotion, that huge primordial soup of everything, of that the whole universe within us that's separating out, this is the uh, the whole. You don't want to if you have a color chart and you take mm. out red, you don't have a color chart. You can't take out anger, and the more that we feel the whole spectrum, the more the more in intuition gets louder too as we quiet the in the ego and the intellect mm, absolutely and, and honestly that's really how i teach um intuition and psychicness um with my work it's like if because for my own journey i was what i call emotionally constipated where i couldn't feel emotions um all i felt was anger because that's all i felt uh, and knew how to express but the more that you really do um, you know, learn how to tap in and completely embrace all of this. Like it opens up this whole new, new world um, for you, which I'm sure you've probably witnessed within your own work as well. Well, the thing, as you know, when you follow intuition, intuition is not meant to tell you if you're going to, should go to college next month. Mm. Intuition is meant to tell you the next step, the most advantageous step for the good of the whole system. And in our case, we're talking about what is the good of the whole system at any minute in what your emotions are doing and what intuition is telling you to do and how intellect is acting, mm -hmm. whatever is good for that whole system. So having the ego in control and saying no to intuition is not good for the whole system. It's making decisions for the good of the few at the expense of the emotion and intuition and then the body and everything else. So that's how small a step we're talking about, but that's how mm -hmm. functional intuition is. And I'm blessedly knocking on wood because I've been through a lot in my 68 years, but I am in this place where I don't want to do anything else. I just, I listen for intuition. If it tells me to do that, I just go do it. And the most miraculous things 
come to pass when I don't get in the way. So, yeah, I mean, again, uh, for me as well, like I've been connected and and really letting my intuition guide my life. And it's, it's seen my life completely dismantle itself um, because I was obviously so, so out of alignment with, you know, that, that true, that true self. But again, like I, I think that a lot of people, when they're looking for their intuition, they're looking for these big moves. And it's like, actually, sometimes it's just as simple as, hey, go read that newspaper or magazine article because it's going to be some word or phrase that's actually going to be really important to you 18 months, two years down the track. Like the amount of times that I just had weird, and I'm sure you've had the same, where it's like, God, I that really random thing that I, that I did has now ended up being such a pivotal piece of my life. Yes, absolutely. And that we get guided in Mm -hmm. ways that we have to commit to the mystery. Yes. Because what you, what you just described is being in a place where you have this mindset that anything can happen at any moment, both good and bad. But to me, it's just like, I don't want my mind focused on, well, I'm going to create this vision that I can't do this in two months Mm -hmm because I don't see how I can get from here to there in my head at this moment. Yeah. And explode that away and take those tiny baby steps, but that's Mm. it. You have to commit to the mystery. That's it. I love that. Commit to the mystery. It's so true. So Barbara, I'm so curious. We've obviously spoken about what you've channeled through from, from Einstein, given that it's obviously quite a, um, you know, in deep concept, how was this received, um, you know, by scientists, given that you obviously were bringing through all of this sort of scientific scientific, um, and, and physics sort of concepts? The amateur scientists that I've mm. used to discuss all this with mm. have been amazed. The, the most profound experience I had with scientists was I was I had just gone out on a, a launched Imagining Einstein uh, and my I hired these promoters and they had had me order 3000 books and they were fulfilling the orders and mm. the website and they're booking all these things. And so I'm about to leave on my book tour and they call me up and they tell me they're going out of business. And so I went off on my book tour. It's kind of an emotional mess. And for other reasons too, I left my husband and my boyfriend broke up with me and there was all, so I'm in this mess and I'm, I'm supposed to go to this book signing at this metaphysical meetup in Philadelphia. And I almost didn't go because I was crying. And so mm. I go in and I realize, oh my God, this isn't metaphysical like you and me. These are like amateur physicists and chemists and they're talking about physics Mm. and chemistry. And I, I'm, I'm a little bit panicking and and from the back, I hear this woman go, can we hear Barbara talk? And so I get up and she says, I was just at this conference, science and spirit, the intersection of science and spirit. And they quoted your book. Oh, wow. I said, oh, that there must be some mistake. That was my answer. There must be some mistake. <laughs> it must be Walter Isaacson's book of Einstein just came out. They, she, and she got mad. She's like, no. They said it was a little tiny volume that packed a big punch. So I took a big breath and I said to them, look, I talked to dead people. 
I talk to famous dead people and I've come up with this thing. We've come up with this. So I'm not here to convince you that, that you should believe it's famous dead people. But would you tell me what you think of this? Because mm. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I dropped out of science in 10th grade. I never did well in math. I don't know. And so I presented the whole thing and they went crazy. The physicist was like, wait a minute. You took the zero point gravity theory and you married it with the blah, blah, blah theory. And then you came up a kind of roundabout, right? You did. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> what is the zero point gravity? And then the chemist, he was like, wow. Oh my gosh. The old paradigm. There's, there's six blah, blah, blahs that you couldn't figure out how they float. But now you're saying there's nine of them. I just read this, what you're confirming. That the... So there, that was this huge burst of, uh, excitement for me that mm. actual and then everywhere that I traveled and would present it in workshops people of all stripes would stand around the drawing we would just stand there and we would put everything in the map you could put everything I could show you everything how it fits in the mm. map so one of my goals on my world tour that I'm on is that I want to get this to particular scientists who are working on unified field theories. There's also a man named Matthias Desmet, who's a, a psychoanalyst and a statistician from Belgium who did a lot of work during COVID about mass formation. Mm -hmm. And I think that this has a big effect on psychotherapy, just little things like, you know, when in psych talk therapy, you keep talking about it and talking about it and mm. talking about it. And you think you're feeling it, but you're really not because you're not really feeling and breathing and getting it away from your thought process. So there's so many pieces that can revolutionize uh, psychotherapy. And one of my dearest friends and colleagues is uh, an orthopedic surgeon in Norway. Mm. And she's just switched her field to psychiatry. So I'm going to be over in Norway uh, for several months and working with her and making a point to try to get to people who I hear saying things like Matthias Desmond, we need a new set of principles that we can abide mm -hmm. by. And it's like, this isn't religious and it's not scientific. It's, it's like so rudimental. Let's mm -hmm. do that. I want to go see David Icke. I don't know if you're familiar with who he is, but He's also somebody who for years and years and years has been talking about this. And Nine sounds familiar. Mm. Yeah, look him up. And he was a conspiracy theorist until several years, three years ago when it all came true. And he too was saying, we need a system. And it's like, mm. and even if I don't even care if people adopt or adapt conflict revolution itself, Mm. Just hearing these things, just hearing this perspective puts a new perspective on what people already know. It's like it kind of livens up every, it's like, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then the idea is that people go off and use that information to create their own system, to create their own process where they're going to have their own special way they do conflict revolution, whatever it is that gets them to turn inside and quit projecting and be aware that we want to stop this us versus them mentality. And just one last thing too, I wanted to say about when you're talking about the voices in your head mm. 
And, you know, there's these two sides of the very first group that we did, what we called Voices of Culture, because they were explaining to us that inside your head, you have one side of your head that has all the voices of the angels, that you are one and it's all love. The other side is all the things that say you're not good enough, you're not smart enough. And we're here like a chalkboard. We're going to erase this side and we're going to fill it in with all this because these voices of culture are what fool us into thinking it's somebody else. Mm. It's like my friend in Norway. It was her inner voices saying that she could not go back to Barbados. It, her mother-in-law might have been saying that, but if she's triggered by it, it was her inner voices. So, mm. so anyway, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. So to just sort of like start to wrap things up, I would love to know what, what do you think is coming next for human consciousness? Like where can you see us really, really headed collectively in our evolution? Well, I had our Israeli friend last Saturday in our group mm-hmm. describing to us what it was like to be in the epicenter of the massacre. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't think the conflict revolution itself is something necessarily for a war zone because everything is so disruptive. But here we had a woman who was willing in the midst of telling us about her daughter having to find the babies pulled apart and Mm. seeing 10 of her friends mowed down, weeping, weeping, and and describing the insanity. It can't go on. It can't go on. Why, 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 why? And I said, I get that I wouldn't ask you to forgive anybody in this point, at this particular point. Mm. What's going on with that? How do you feel about that? And she said, well, I couldn't get to forgiveness. I can get to love Mm. because what's happened is her whole neighborhood was flooded with refugees, 500 people here, 50 people there, people bloody, they have nothing. And the whole neighborhood, everybody is rising to the occasion and somebody is organizing this over here and somebody is organizing that over here and hearts are so open. Mm -hmm. They're so open right now. And to me, this feels like, now I've never had a baby, but I can imagine that after all that time of labor, where it hurts and you're screaming, 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 you're getting to this final push of this birth. And it comes from people like you and I saying, we have the power. Mm. We have the power and we're gonna find the creative solutions and we're gonna bring peace and we're gonna bring the visionary and we're gonna be the change. And enough people collectively, there's a like a tipping point that we're at mm. and then, change starts to manifest as we've been talking about it isn't that we stop doing what we're doing to be the change but suddenly the manifestations start to fall in line and and i'm seeing it i'm seeing it a lot through all of the other chaos but we're not gonna not succeed yeah 
it, it's it's a destiny. In fact, in Party of Twelve, the Afterlife Interviews, one of my book, they end with the manifesto of the destiny of world peace, saying, "Commit this life, the next life. We are here to manifest the true manifestation of that compassion of which we are made of." And that was the whole reason for Earth to begin with, right? For us yes. to come back over and over again to create this heaven that we're we're supposed to create. So I'm I'm just so honored and excited to be alive. And I'm I'm so excited to see young people like you. And I I don't feel like I'm like ancient, but I'm older. And all the conversation and all the action, not just the mm. thought, but the action. So there's so much hope there yes. is and i and i honestly i feel the hope i i feel like despite everything i do feel the hope and i truly can see that you know our collective consciousness is changing we are rising and while we may not even see complete resolution or complete hope and love really manifest even in my lifetime i know that this isn't just about my lifetime right like i'm going to keep coming back and um I, you know, I guess I, I'm doing what I'm doing, not even for me, right? Like it's actually just for the collective. Um, and I think if more people can look at it like that, then we might really progress even quicker along. And they are. Yes. And we're helping, we're helping move it along. We really are. Oh, Barbara, this has been an amazing conversation. Is there anything else on your heart that you feel like you really want to share with the listeners before we wrap it up? I would just say that this um, kind of reticence sometimes to go inside, like we don't mm. want to see our dark side. The point is, that's the hope that if we're creating it, then we can uncreate it and we can recreate it. And that's the hope that we can, we don't have to have control of other people's domain. We don't have to address World War Three it's us and it's mm. it's that small of a step to contribute in at any time we can give that love to where it's always needed and it's always needed in the world so that's what i hope people do mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. So I obviously have all the links below so that you can connect with Barbara, her website. If you've really resonated with conflict revolution, all the details are on there. Um, where's the best place for them to kind of contact you anyways? Um, BarbaraWith.com, B-A-R-B-A-R-A-W-I-T-H.com is, uh, where you can see the readings, uh, and what I do with readings, uh, synergyalliance.llc. That is where all my events are going to be listed and all the history of the psychic sorority and Lily and Teresa and conflict revolution are all there. So, and if any of your listeners uh, want 20% uh, off of a reading, they mm -hmm. can just reach out to me and say, cast 20 and I'll give you 20% off. All right. Oh, thank you so much, Barbara. This has been an absolute honor you to just bet. bring this conversation. And I just really hope that everyone listening has taken something out of it today and hopefully will be able to actually take action from it as well. Yes. Let's do it All again. Right. Yes, absolutely. I would think we could talk again for another hour and a half. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> Easy. All right. Thank you guys. I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.